everybody. Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson, and I'm happy, as always, to be joined by the show's co-host and producer, a man of many talents, Joe Armstrong. Hello, Jessica. The Supreme Court session is wrapping up this week, and that means a flurry of decisions. But today we're going to discuss a SCOTUS case that the court decided not to take. This is likely the first of many future cases dealing with transgender rights. In just a bit, we are going to be joined by an expert in this field, Felicia Ortiz. Ortiz has a law degree and is a therapist who specializes in the rights of transgender children. But let's get some context first, Jessica. What is this case about? Yeah, so let's start with the actual person behind this case. Sometimes these cases can seem amorphous and removed from, uh, they can feel like they're all about legal standards and not about people. So there is a man named Gavin Grimm. He was a high school student in Virginia whose biological sex at birth was female. He since transitioned while he was in high school to being a male. His high school principal initially gave him permission to use the boys' bathroom, but the school board then blocked him from doing so after they got a a lot of parent complaints. And the school essentially said, you have to use the bathroom that is consistent with the sex that you were assigned at birth. And so Gavin's options were the girls' bathroom, the school then offered him a private bathroom, or the nurse's room. The case actually went up and down throughout the court system a couple of times because of changes that the Obama administration had made that were more favorable to transgender students. The Trump administration then basically pulled those recommendations back. But the important thing for us to know is that when he sued for the second time, he said this is a violation of Title IX because he was discriminated against on the quote, basis of sex. And he also sued under the Constitution. He said, this discrimination amounts to a violation of my 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause rights. The case goes to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, the area that he's in, that covers the area he's in. And by a vote of two to one, the Fourth Circuit agrees with him. And they rely in part on a decision that the Supreme Court made almost exactly a year ago, Joe, that you and I talked about, called the Bostock decision. And there, in that case, the court was looking at a federal statute that prohibited workplace discrimination. And the court concluded that the federal law that guards against workplace discrimination, quote, on account of sex, includes discrimination on account of sexual orientation, and gender identity. So the Fourth Circuit, that lower court, is really relying on a recent case from the Supreme Court. The school board, not being happy with this decision, appeals to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court decided to do is nothing in the sense that they decided to not take the case. And as everybody knows, if they don't take the case, then the last ruling is the one that stands. And the last ruling is that two-to-one ruling in favor of Gavin that was made by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Justices Thomas and Alito would have voted to take the case. And so that's one of the things that happened this week at the Supreme Court. All right, Jessica. So that's another way that the Supreme Court can decide a case simply by not 
taking it and letting the lower court's existing decision stand. But you just said in that circuit a moment ago, and it's time for a judicial geography lesson. Given that there are several regional circuit courts, does that then mean that there are different rulings in different parts of the country or that the other courts haven't ruled on this particular issue yet? Door number two. So some circuits have ruled and they've all come to the same conclusion as far as I know as the Fourth Circuit, which means that the Seventh Circuits and the Eleventh Circuits have considered this issue and they've come to the same conclusion. Now, what will happen is that if another circuit, like for instance, Joe, as you know, we're in the Ninth Circuit, we are in California. If another circuit reviews the same basic question and comes to a different conclusion, then that could tee up an inevitable Supreme Court case. One of the big places where the Supreme Court steps in and really they're all but compelled to take a case is when there's a circuit split. And that makes sense because we don't want it to be that your constitutional rights mean one thing in California, but a different thing in Connecticut, for instance. And that's when the Supreme Court has to come in and say, okay, this is the law of the land. All right, then. So walk us through why a court might rule against a transgender student. What are the legal arguments on the other side of this issue? Yeah, the legal arguments on the other side were really also involved in the, in my perspective, in the policy arguments on the other side, where the school said that allowing transgender students to use the bathroom that corresponds to their gender identity would violate the privacy rights of the other students who were using the bathrooms. And the school basically acknowledges, look, we have to balance a lot of different interests here, but we're gonna weigh that balance in favor of being more protective of the other students who are complaining about having to use a bathroom with a transgender student. All right, so lest I sound daft, this issue of which bathrooms transgender students can use is not the only legal issue facing transgender people that may need to be resolved in the courts. So what other issues are likely on the horizon? I think you're exactly right, Joe. I mean, this is a big issue, and there's so many different aspects of transgender rights that we're going to have to tackle in the next few years. One of the things that we've just heard about more and more in the last few weeks and months uh, this issue of whether or not transgender athletes can compete on uh, athletic teams that correspond to their birth sex or correspond to their gender identity. And this is something that the courts are going to have to address very, very quickly. And then at some issue, there's the broader question that we know will come before the court, which is one that puts transgender rights and pits them against religious liberty. I suspect I know where this particular court would put its thumb on the scale, but we need to know the specifics of the case before we make anything close to an educated guess. So I think that's a good summary of what the Supreme Court did or in fact didn't do this week with respect to transgender rights and a preview of what is to come. Joe, I'm going to say goodbye to you at this point, and we're going to now hear from an expert in the field who works with transgender youth and adults, Felicia Ortiz. One of the reasons that I love doing the Passing Judgment podcast is that we get to talk through the legal issues, the political issues, and then talk to people about how it affects the daily lives of real people, many of whom might be listeners. And so, Joe... Thank you, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you, Jessica. 
Now let's bring in a therapist who's really well-versed in the issues of transgender youth and adults. Her name is Felicia Ortiz. She holds a JD from UC Berkeley and a master's in counseling psychology. She works with a lot of transgender clients, as we talked about, and we want to bring these issues from you know, this kind of amorphous discussion of the legal implications to the real world implications. So Felicia, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And a disclosure to our listeners, Felicia and I are very, very dear friends and have known each other since I think right after the earth started to cool. Is that about correct? (laughs) That sounds right. Okay. Now, first, I'm going to ask you what might feel like a basic question, which is you work with transgender clients. How important is it to them when you're talking to them to be able to use the bathroom that is consistent with their gender identity? Yeah, so it's really important. And here's why. There's there's really two pieces to this conversation. And one is that there's there's danger to the bathroom bans for the trans community. One is an actual physical risk of, say, a trans female person who was assigned male at birth, but who's presenting in a very feminine way and is asked to go to the bathroom in a men's room. That's going to be not just an emotional burden, but a serious physical one uh, and bringing potential violence, um, danger, lots of things we don't want to have happening for them. And additionally, um, the emotional damage to withstand the fear of that, be unaffirmed in your gender. And I put this second, not just because it's any less important, it's it's possibly more important, but it's um, the one that the proponents of bathroom bans seem to devalue or find less persuasive because mm-hmm. it's just emotional damage. Um, but it's like a thousand tiny paper cuts throughout the day. And that has a lasting effect. I really like the way you categorize that in terms of physical harm and emotional harm. And you remind us that that's not necessarily hierarchy. Those are just sometimes two different doors and sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. Now you talked about the proponents of these bands a little bit. And I know that you serve a variety of clients. If you had somebody who came into your office, who made the argument that the proponents of the ban were arguing here, which is, yeah, but I have a kid whose privacy rights are harmed, who my kid is harmed if the transgender student uses the bathroom according to their gender identity. What would you say to that client? Yeah, I think I would really have to dig down into the root of where their discomfort is. Um, I would try not to come at that initially with shame, um, but really sort of get into the exploration of what uh, potentially misinformation that person has, especially since it's statistically much more um, likely for a trans person to be a victim um, than a perpetrator of violence. Um, And additionally, I'd want to know a little bit about where their fear lies, where the the concern is, because there's lots of different kinds of people. You don't know who's in the stall next to you. And most of the time, it doesn't really matter who's peeing next to you, right? I mean, we don't check. Um, and there's some good reasons for that. Yeah. And you had an example, which... I don't think that this is too brash for any of our listeners' ears. You had an example about somebody who 
used a catheter, for instance. Do you want to yeah, explain um, that? It was actually a urostomy bag, but yes, I, I was I was checked on that one. But um, it's a urostomy bag, and it was a family member of mine, an older person who um, stood up to pee and was facing the toilet, and she happened to be an 80, 90-year-old woman, and no one said anything. No one was worried that she was, you know, standing to pee and that that was how she evacuated. But there's a lot of these concerns of like what's happening. And, and sometimes all we have to do is dig into where those concerns are in order to kind of debunk them. And they sort of go away like the mist because they don't hold together really well. They're, they're part of fear and, and fear is natural when we have something we don't understand or which is different. Um, It's there to protect us. But we can't use that protection as a reason to hurt other humans. That's that's legal and that's human. Yeah. And this brings up, I think the next legal issue dealing with transgender youth is going to be this issue of athletic teams. And mm-hmm. it seems to me that that brings up the same kind of fears and misinformation, but also very different in the sense that athletics obviously are out in the open. There aren't the same privacy concerns, but there are different, um, there are different concerns in the sense of, you know, quote unquote fairness. Have you had any clients who are grappling with which sports team they can play on? So I haven't yet because it's become um, more of an issue of late. And I think I probably will quickly uh, coming up. But I think when we talk about that, it's really people start getting concerned about fairness. And I think when you, again, look at statistics and look at what we actually see happening, it's a lot less of an issue of fairness at that point. Um, so we, we have a lot of um, knowledge about that. We don't see trans, um, trans athletes dominating the sports, for example, if, if it really was so much of an issue of, um, you know, having extra testosterone on board, extra estrogen on board or whatever, um, we'd see those people taking over the sports and, and dominating across, across sports. And we're not seeing that we, they're humans like the rest of us. And, um, those issues are, are going to come up for sure, but it's not, Um, it's not all it appears on the surface. I'm just listening to you talk about these issues and it strikes me to ask, is there something where you wish you could walk into a seventh grade classroom or a 10th grade classroom and say, here's what I'd like you to know about your classmates who might be trans. Is there something where, because you've talked about fear, you've talked about misinformation, something where you wish we could reach people kind of on the earlier side to say X, Y, Z, and hopefully alleviate a lot of pain and, and anxiety before, frankly, a lot of these cases reach the legal system. Sure. That would be great. And, and that's, um, you know, part of non-traditional, um, ways of looking at this is, is to look at them more um, alternative dispute resolution and mediation and, and having people understand these things at a deeper level than um, the legal system was really set up to do. 
And I think there's some real value in that. But again, we're also with this great new generation who's already doing that work for us. Um, you said 10th grade or eighth grade or something of that ilk. I, I would be more akin to starting it at third grade, you know, yeah. when people are starting to feel their bodies, starting to understand, um, you know, an initial binary that may not be an actual good fit for folks and it may not um, work across the lifetime. So, I think there's a lot of issues in there that we could we could grapple with early on, not not as a means of indoctrinating anyone, but just showing that there's more of a spectrum in our lives than a binary that we um, have been sort of presented with so far. Felicia Ortiz, I appreciate you talking us through these issues. And I think it's so important. One of the things we try and do on passing judgment, obviously, is clearly talk about the law and what the court has just said, but you provided something that I could never provide, which is insight into how these decisions and laws and battles affect real people. And I am very grateful for your time, which I know is your scarcest resource. And I, again, want to remind everybody, we've been talking with Felicia Ortiz. She holds a JD from UC Berkeley and a master's in counseling psychology. She works with a number of transgender clients in addition to having a very full practice. Otherwise, Felicia, remind us of your website if people want to reach you. It's feliciatherapy.com, all one word. And um, I welcome folks coming by and checking it out. With that, we want to thank our listeners for having these conversations with us, for being along to share the conversations. You can find Joe on Twitter and Instagram at In-Depth Day, me on Twitter and Instagram at Levinson Jessica, the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. And we wish everybody a very nice and restful day.